Welcome to Covenant's Pulpit Ministry. Covenant Evangelical Free Church believes that the Bible is the Word of God and that God's Word is vital for life-transforming Christianity. We trust that you will grow to know the Word of God and more importantly, the God of the Word as you hear this message today. May God bless you as you open your heart to His Word. I've always said that I'm always uh, very grateful uh, to be ministering at, at Covenant because it gives me a chance to again uh, talk about how we have been friends and partners for many years, many years now. And none of us do ministry alone. We, we need friends and partners. So thank you very much uh, for your support and co-labor through the years. Uh, briefly, Graceworks, you can check us out online. It's graceworks.com.sg. We have two arms. One is to promote spiritual friendship. Many churches are concerned for right doctrine and activism, but our relationship within the church often is still quite poor. We still need to go more in-depth on how we can work together. So that's one side of our ministry. The other side is publishing. So the Generations Project actually is a very extensive research on how different generations view life and the church. Because from Boomer down to Gen Z and beyond, we have all been shaped by different formative forces that makes us view life differently. And our vision is not just to pass on to the next gen. Our vision is intergen, young and old, uh, walking together and learning from each other. So that's, uh, you can buy that uh, online. It's at our website store. The other book has been launched this Saturday. It's called Assault on the Body. And it's a book about sexual assault in churches in Singapore. Often we think of uh, sexual assault as some other denomination far away. Eh? Do you think it happens in Singapore or not? Yeah, we, of course it does. And the stories are heartbreaking. And I think these are things you all shy shy we don't talk about, which only means that these things continue to happen in the darkness. So this is just a small attempt, this book uh, launched this Saturday, uh, Assault on the Body, Sexual Assault in the Churches in Singapore. These are not things that we like, like to do, uh, but we feel led by the Lord to do. So you please cover us in prayer. Uh, I, I can see this may not be popular in some quarters. I always also enjoy coming to Bukit Panjang. For some reason, this is the only place that allows me to come. I don't know, Woodlands, Wiesner. I used to go to Woodlands. I think my, my, my score has come down. So, But never mind. I love this place. Don't tell the other. Don't tell the other centers, huh? But I like this because I can see the last row. I can see faces. And for me, as Kirk has said, ministry is personal. It's a personal element that I find easier to experience in Bukit Panjang Center. So it's always extra special to come here and to see you guys. Let's pray. Lord. Thank you for the gifts you give us that enable us to worship you. Whether it's dance, whether it's voices, our prayers, our heart. You give us these things so we can give back to you and glorify you. And it's such a privilege to be counted among your people. That we can assemble uh, to join our hearts to say how great you are, O oh Lord. And now, Lord, we want to worship you with our listening. And, and we pray, O oh God, that you would speak to us while we Keep our ears and our hearts open to what you have for us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Just once that Bernice and I were in, in Chicago, and it was a Sunday, so we wanted to worship the Lord. 
So we just walked to a nearby church, and it's a, it a beautiful church building, great worship. And the sermon was excellent. I must tell you, the sermon is excellent. If I was a, a, a preaching professor, I would give A. Because it used uh, great stories, it was very personal, it moved your heart. And the, the sermon was used to defend a position that the pastor's friend, uh, the pastor's friend, found out that, uh, knew along that he was gay, but he felt so uh, restricted in coming out. He finally did. He divorced his wife and married his partner. And, and this was a, a sermon that was reaching out in love to understand his pain and how he finally found some resolution. But what I remembered most was the Bible verse he used to sustain this, this position. It was Acts chapter 10, verse 15, you know, when, 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 when Peter was taking an afternoon siesta, then this sheet came down from heaven, full of uh, non, non-halal animals, uh, non-kosher animals. Then the Lord asked Peter to go and eat this stuff. He, you know, this for Jews, they've always been taught from young, they are the acceptable animals and the non-acceptable animals. And here's God asking me to go and eat this. And I was like, no, no. Then God said, do not call anything impure that I have made clean. That means if God has made everybody clean uh, in his exposition, then we shouldn't be condemning them. So I said, wow, this kind of Bible interpretation. And I'm sure it would happen in, in many places in the US these days and in other places as well. And I thought, well, this is the day that we live in. There are many competing views about what is right and wrong. And, and even within the church, as this sermon illustrated, even within the church, there are many people who advocate for different positions based even on scripture. So how do we discern in the day and age, in the internet age, where we are bombarded with so many diverse positions? I have a special feel for our young. Parents may not understand if they're online all the time, in their phone, in their computer. They are bombarded by so many cogent defense of all sorts of positions. So it's not just the young. All of us, in this day and age, we cannot put our head in the sand. I mean, how do we really decide what is right and wrong? How do we really decide... What is right and wrong? So I think I, I'm taking this today's sermon from 2 Timothy, which in Paul's mind, he thinks that this is the last letter he's going to write. Whether it is, nobody knows, but this is the one that we have. If you read the book of 2 Timothy, Paul talks about how my ship is going to come, my life is poured out, Leo. he thinks he's going to die soon. And so when you're about to die soon, you're very selective what you want to write. No? You don't have all the time in the world. And he writes to his number one disciple in a situation in Ephesus where he was being uh, really assaulted by false teaching. Assaulted by false teaching. So you are the Sifu, you are the disciple, you're about to leave. This is your number one disciple, been encountering a lot of false teaching. So what, what do you say? What do you teach in this last letter that you think you're going to be communicating to him? So this is the context in which we find these principles about discerning what is right and wrong through the Word of God. And the main text I took is from 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17. And this particular verse, I, I really like the, the NIV 2011, which I will explain later. Uh, 2 Timothy 3, uh, 16 to 17, where he talks about all Scripture is God-breathed, and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness 
so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good word. That is the main uh, text, although I'll be looking at other texts as well. So in this whole question is, how do I figure what is right and wrong? The first answer, and one that holds true throughout the ages, is that the Bible is our authority for what is right and wrong. Because all scripture is God-breathed. But the second part is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. That means it is God's way of teaching us what is right and wrong belief, right and wrong behavior. There's four words there, uh, teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness has this implication of these two things, what we believe and how we live. So what is right, what is wrong? Belief, action. So the Bible is where we turn to. So if you want to hold a position, show me where the Bible says this. It's one that, an approach that we should be asking all the time. Anybody can come and say this and that. Show me where the Bible says this. And this is actually one of the key uh, tenets of what it means to be an evangelical. You're evangelical, right? <laughs> Covenant, evangelical, preachers. Uh, and there are two main things about being an evangelical. One is wanting to share the good news. And the second is we take the Bible as the basis of our belief and behavior. There's the two parts of what it means to be an evangelical. Because the name now has been abused in many ways. So we go back to the basic roots of what it means to be an evangelical, our desire to preach the gospel, and our respect for the Bible as our final authority for what is right and wrong. You must begin with that. The Bible is our authority for right and wrong. And I think that has to be said again and again because, like, like I said, there are so many views out there. And we have to ask as a fundamental question, can you show me from the word that you're really believe in this, and I think especially true for younger people. Uh, us old folks, old folks, we get quite quiet, we listen to our leaders, you know, they say it must be right one. Uh, but young people will be asking why, you know, seeing us why, you know, why, 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 why are we having this position? Does the Bible actually teach this? So I think young and old, we should be asking this question. Because finally the authority is not in an individual, it's in, in the Word of God. That's why the book of uh, Acts would really give a good word for the Barians because they are people who examine the Bible whether what Paul says right or wrong or not. Well, Paul also. He's uh, like, I check the Bible, see whether Edmund Chan says right or wrong or not. Better check, see. Just because he's Edmund Chan. I mean, uh, Paul, it uh, doesn't mean that uh, you have to check the Bible. Don't trust anyone. Don't trust me. You don't have to check the Bible. So because the Bible is the final authority, not individuals. All of us are under the authority of the word. All of us, speaker, listener, long chong, all under the word. So the Bible is the final authority authority for what is right and wrong belief. And this is one of the takeaways that I really appreciated from my time at Regent College, where even when there's a clash between what the Bible says and a particular church tradition, the Bible must win. I remember uh, one of our New Testament profs, uh, Gordon Fee, one of the top textual critic testament scholars in the world, one of the top, and he's an assembly of God. Yes, there's such a thing as assembly of God scholars, God, God. And, uh, he said in years of grappling with the New Testament, he cannot support a law of tongues. It means everybody must speak in tongues. He says, after all these years, I, I can't support this position. And he's a card-carrying AOG who speaks in tongues, very anointed, moving in the Spirit. But because he is such a careful student of the New Testament, he says, of course, tongues is excellent, but to go to one step where everybody must speak in tongues as a sign of this or that, he says, I have to draw the line just before that lah. I respect him because he got a lot of flack from his leaders, of course. But if there ever were a conflict between what anybody says, 
the world, the church, anybody, and the word of God clashes with that, the word of God is our final authority. So it's no point saying that if you don't live by the word, lah. Everybody can say all scripture is God breathed. Then they leave out the second part eh, and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and trying to. So, for the longest time, there were people who defended you know, the inerrancy of the Bible or that. So, the Bible is the final authority. They say, okay, la, but are you living by the Bible or not? Hello? Not just go around shouting the Bible is the final authority, but have you been uh, corrected by the Bible recently? Have you been trained by the Bible recently? So our commitment today about the Bible as a means to ascertain what is right and wrong is meaningless unless we committed to obey and live by the word. Otherwise, no point. I close shop, I go home now. So the second point that we go to is why on earth should the Bible be the final authority? And that's because it is inspired by God. This is where I really love the NIV 2011. All scripture is God-breathed. And that's a very accurate translation because it's basically theonustos, breathed out by God. It's not so much a statement of, uh, like, I see a sunset, I get inspired. No? Because in some, many of the translations, it says inspired. But inspired is very ambiguous. It could be a very subjective experience. No? I walked along East Coast Park, I saw the sunset. Oh, I was so inspired. I write in haiku, I wrote haiku. So that's one, one way of being inspired. And nothing wrong with that. But that's not what it means here. What it means is who is the source of the Bible? It's God himself, breathed out by God. Although God uses different human authors, the ultimate author of the word of God is God himself. To respect God's word is to respect God. To neglect God's word means you neglect God. Because God is the author, breathed out by God. Breathed out by God. So it's God breathed, inspired by God, and therefore it holds the authority of God himself. It's like... Uh, coming to the Bible, but we take it lightly. It's like we are wandering around, look, just curious what the Bible says. Then like Moses approaching the burning bush. Uh, say, hey, 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 don't just wander here. Take off your sandals. This is holy ground. And often we don't have that sense of awe when we approach the Bible, right? All of us got four or five copies. Throw here, throw there. You know? I learned this element of respect for the word afresh when I was ministering in, in, in Lahore recently in Pakistan. Now, our Muslim friends, to be frank, have a very high regard for the Quran because this is God's word. So I was there asked to give a talk. So I was there with my notes and my Bible. But there's no table around, so I put my file on the floor and put my Bible on top of the file on the floor. Whoa, the leaders rush and take the Bible and put it in my lap. Cannot put the word of God on the floor. That would be their cultural background. Of course, to respect the word and to obey the word is not the same thing. But at least I could see their reverence for the word. I didn't think I was doing anything wrong. It's not even on the floor, it's on the file. <laughs> but, but cannot go down one, cannot go down. Because it's the word of God. So you, know, you understand the connection between the word and God. You know, even in the ark of the covenant, you open the box, don't, don't go near and touch the ark. But, but you see, there's the Ten Commandments inside. So God chooses to speak to us through his word. So we have to respect how God wants to speak to us. God can speak to us through nature, which He does, through song, through dance. Thank God for the many ways that we can encounter God. But His primary way of speaking to us is through the book, through the Bible. You have to respect how God chooses to speak to us. Many of us, we want to encounter God and 
And we may even use the Bible as some kind of a spiritual Google. You need, you need some uh, thing answered in your life. But that's the time you don't really read. So you actually make the Bible some kind of instrument, tool that you use, rather than the Word of God over you. Isn't how many of us treat the Word? That's why I need some understanding from the Word. So you can read. And I'm saying that the one group of people who are most guilty of this are full-time church workers. Because we have to prepare sermons. So when I open the Bible, it's not with the fear of the Lord. It's, oh, yo, I, I fear that I cannot finish my sermon in time for tomorrow. Ah. <laughs> so the Bible becomes a tool rather than, I better have some degree of reverence when I open the Bible. This is one danger of those of us who touch the Bible all the time. Ah. God help us. We lose a sense of the reverence. It's not just approaching a book. It's approaching God, leh. So whether it's full-time church workers or any of us, maybe we need to repent and go back to a position of reverence because it's like your personal burning bush. Huh? Take off your sandals, at least metaphorically, for this is holy ground. Because this is how God chose to speak to us. So when we want to know God's will, we want to know God's will, God say, uh, I give you a book, huh? you read already or not? It's really as we read God's will that we encounter God. Of course, there's also the subjective, personal word from God. I remember there's a time and it was very low in my life. Very low in my life. It was a very difficult time in my life. And my regular Bible reading for that period was the book of Genesis, including the story of Joseph. I was very down. So I went to a pastor's prayer meeting, and as I was praying, I felt the Lord say to me, your story not over yet. Don't give up. But I understood the reference was to Joseph. You know Joseph's story, the up, down, up, down. No? Cocky young man, and stole, the brother can't tahan him, sold him away, got the, you know, taken in by the chief of the soldiers, then he met the desperate housewife, then they did it, thrown into prison. Oh, I tell you, uh, this is like at least three seasons of a Korean drama. But happy ending. Happy ending. I was very down in my life. Now, I'll be frank with you. It's not that the Holy Spirit gave me in a dream. So in, read Genesis. No, no. It was just my regular quiet time reading was in Genesis. But when we read the totality of God's Word, totality of God's Word, you give more words for the Holy Spirit to use to speak to you. Of course, the Holy Spirit can speak to you directly. I'm not saying He doesn't. But when you know the Word, the actual study of God's Word, you actually give more words for the Holy Spirit to use when He wants to speak to you personally. So for so many reasons, we need to take the study of God's Word seriously because it's how God speaks to us. I say, what is right and wrong, God is telling us, but then we must study the Bible. Lah. And I suspect many of us need to repent. In a church like this, we talk about Bible all the time. One. But to what degree have we approached the Bible with reverence? Serious about hearing God's voice. Huh? But third, of course, all this is all very nice, all that, but then the third point is that we must interpret the Bible correctly. That one you know is coming, right? Because anybody can make the Bible say anything. After I've gone through seminary and spent thousands of dollars, I can make the Bible say anything. Your personal AI chat. No? <laughs> write me a paper to defend, I can eat 40 durians at one shot. I can write for you one, can. Your personal AI chat, I can write for you a paper. Enjoy the fruits of God. I can write paper for you. 
to justify eating 40 durians at one shot. Can. Trust me. That's one of the fruits of uh, going to seminary. <laughs> but that's not a correct interpretation of the Bible. What does the Bible actually say? Because the danger is that anybody can make the Bible say anything. Are we left in despair? No. Especially when the people who are against the Scriptures will say, hey, you guys are for the longest time I use Bible to defend slavery. Yeah. Which is true. And we must repent of that. But it doesn't mean that everything we say now is wrong. Lah. When we have found that we have used the Bible wrongly to justify things that are wrong, we must be the first to say, wow, that was wrong, man. Really, really, we must repent of that and do whatever repair that we can. So I'm not saying that we are infallible. Lah. But it doesn't mean that there is no guidelines, that it's all up in the air, it's totally subjective. No, one, one basic principle of Bible interpretation is what is the meaning of that book for the initial hearers or readers? That is the control. So the writer of that particular book, whether Exodus or Acts or what, had some purpose when they are writing to that first audience. What did they have in mind? That is the control. And then from there, we may apply the truth in other ways, but that must be the control. Because the Bible is not really a dictionary. It's a collection of many occasional documents, letters, whatever, all came out because there was some situation that needed this book. So I went to find out what does that original context was. Then that will guide my understanding of what the scripture was. So, in that sheet from heaven with the non-halal food, it is... Because the earliest Christians were all Jews. And for centuries, they are told that they are, they are God's special people, the people of the book. Now suddenly, you've got a new system now. Huh? You just believe in Christ, huh? can't really. No need to become a Jew. They can eat whatever they want. Huh? Lobster. But, in fact, Jesus said he declared all foods okay. Yeah. Chinese people are very happy to hear that. But in the long run, it means the Jews too need not be bound by that. There's a new way in which God relates to us now. But you must understand, you must feel, have empathy for the earliest Jewish Christians. How difficult it is to make this jump? Huh? For years we live like that to protect us as the God's people. Now, this bunch of people can simply come in just because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Huh? Then Cornelius and other Gentiles were coming and needing the gospel. So God had to do some drastic uh, lesson for Peter to understand that it's not just Jews, but it's for all peoples as well. And that would be the context of that original passage. I mean, any Bible scholar would, would, would have to say that that was the original context. The struggles of Jewish Christians to embrace Gentiles as full members of the body of God. Hence this drama thing, you know, with the sheet coming down. But I don't think you can use this to justify the sermon that the pastor said in Chicago lah, because that not really was the context. The control must always be what it meant for the original context and original hearers. You, you cannot use that to justify that kind of position. And I'm not here today entering into the whole discussion about homosexuality. That's a big topic, and we deserve to talk about this. I'm sure we've talked a lot about it because of 277A, but I'm talking about using a Bible. That's my main concern today. You want to defend a position, you've got to defend properly from Scripture, properly interpreted. And so it is my burden that every church should teach their members basic Bible interpretation. 
Not all of us need to have a PhD in Bible interpretation, but all of us should have some basic knowledge of how to interpret the Bible. We should. And also we need uh, to encourage folks to think through for themselves. Sometimes I think Christians very intellectually lazy. Le. I must interpret the Bible. La. Never mind, la. I trust Pastor X or Pastor Y. What? I, I just listen to them. La. I'm not sure Paul would be hot about that. We, we recognize the key leaders that God has brought among us who work very hard to interpret the Bible. But I think all of us do have some responsibility le, to discern what the Word actually is saying. So the Bible is the final authority because it is given by God, but it must be interpreted correctly. But the fourth point is that not only must we interpret the Bible correctly, it must be taught relationally. I mean, it's not just as an individual. I think most Bible studies are very individualistic one. It's like uh, your quiet time. Quiet time is just me, Bible, and coffee. That's all. Me, Bible, coffee. No one else to catch on me. Me, Bible, coffee. Then my quiet time. The coffee is to make sure it doesn't become too quiet. <laughs> or it's like hearing a sermon like this, which is very one-directional. You don't have a chance to ask questions, discuss. You just quite, quite, just quite, quite listen only. So, so much of Bible study in our usual church context is very individualistic. Quiet time, listen to sermon, listen to sermon on YouTube. But I find that what may be more normal as an approach to Bible study is actually relational. Because I remember uh, here in verse 14 of 2 Timothy, Paul telling Timothy, As for you, continue in what you have learned, continue in what you have learned, and have become convinced of, because that means there were times that he wasn't very convinced, but now he's more convinced of, because you know those from whom you learn it. So it's not just the truth, but how the truth has been taught. We are not questioning the veracity of the truth, but how has it been taught? Because you know who you learn it from. Leh. And who did Timothy learn it from? Mother and Amma. You know, I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother, Louis, and in your mother, Eunice. Where is dead and all this, he may have passed away, or maybe he's a Gentile, don't know, but clearly, the place that Timothy saw that the truth was there was in the lives of people, his mother and grandmother, which means a lot of the learning took place over the dining table. Oh, today, oh the synagogue, the speaker said this, what do you think, how do we apply this, next week we got this. So, you know, Mother, grandmother, I mean, we talk about the staff of daily life, not just doctrine. You know? So we talk about the staff of daily life, and now he's able to see how the Word of God actually plays out in daily life, not just some abstract doctrinal thing. Huh? Ladies, huh? ladies are very down-to-earth, grounded. And no, it's not just some theology, you know? it's how the truth is lived out. I'm not questioning that the truth is the truth, but I'm saying the truth is learned when we see how the truth is lived out in daily life. So we should learn relationally. Like I said, whether it's quiet time or whether it's listening to a sermon, it's still very individualistic. After all these years, uh, oh, thank you, Su In, that was a good sermon. So I have no idea whether they understood what I said. I have no idea whether they're going to apply this beyond lunch. Maybe after, before lunch, I already forget already. I don't know. But when you are studying the Word of God as a small group, first of all, we help each other to clarify what it meant. Secondly, we help each other to work out in concrete terms how do we apply this in Singapore today. And thirdly, we hold each other accountable for actually applying it. Right? That's in the group. And of course, we have to be creative. I know some groups where you know, they have a particular passage that they're studying. 
Every morning, they will WhatsApp each other about what was their main takeaway from that passage and how they intend to apply this. And they ask for the rest of the people in the WhatsApp group to pray for them. Let's be creative. Lah. But the point is, don't study the Word of God alone. So lots of people are doing tons of things and nobody is obeying it. Lah. If everybody obey what we know to be true, wow, there will be a revolution in Singapore. But no revolution. Leh. Because how many of us are studying the Word of God individualistically? and not really with the accountability and encouragement that I have with community. So proper interpretation is one thing. Studying community is the other thing. And I pray that the church will encourage, teach how we can actually do this and be creative in how we do this. Because we need this. Let that be the norm and not me, Bible and coffee, or listening to sermon. Let the communal learning be the norm. I don't know how lah, we can work on this, lah, but... That would be the norm. That's the way the word will actually transform us and through us transform the world if there's accountability. But my last two points is this. Obeying the word will lead to persecution. Will lead to persecution. So when I was preparing this, I was going to say uh, may lead to persecution. In fact, everyone, verse 12, who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So I wanted to say may lah. Then I look, 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 but it says will word. So Bopiana, I have to I have to respect the word. As a speaker, I must respect the word. Not just make the word nicer to hear. I will be doing you a disservice if I do that. I must preach the word as it is written. You see here? Will be persecuted. I think it's very irresponsible to rara people to study and obey the word of God without also telling them that there will be a cause. So when you read the Bible, it's not individual statements of truth. The Bible actually is giving you a glimpse of another world yet to come, the new heavens and the new earth. And as you read the Bible, it's actually shaping you for that new world that is to come. But because you are fitted for that world, you will be a misfit in this world. So I think of my friend, Pastor Raymond, who was kidnapped. How many years now? Five years now? Nobody knows what has happened to him. He's a dear friend who took my children to school when I was in grief and my first wife died. He's a friend and nobody knows what happened to him. This is not some far away place or this is next door in Malaysia. So, because we are serious about being shaped by the word and living out the word, we must be prepared that there will be a cost to pay. But most English-speaking churches are middle and upper middle class. Are we willing? Are we willing to pay the price to follow God and His Word. So when the church gets whacked by different quarters, I always say, why are you surprised? Hello? How much of the New Testament is warning us that following God faithfully in this world will entail some degree of persecution? So we hear of the, the, so the, some bishop in Finland who was arrested because all he did was write a Christian position on homosexuality. He was in prison for hate speech. I'm glad to report that I think in the end, the court released him. He wasn't convicted. But my point is, why should we be surprised and, yeah, yeah. isn't this the, what it should be the norm? So we are to respond in love all the time, but we cannot say that by being true to God, there will not be some opposition. Please don't be surprised. That should be the norm, actually. If you have been spared, you will be, will be persecuted. So maybe we are not there, or not there yet. But Bible says, I could be true to the Bible. 
So dear friends, I don't want to rah-rah you. I think the word of God is true. We ought to follow it. Right and wrong, we need to follow it because God is speaking to us. But I cannot tell you that there won't be a cause involved. That would be unfair and irresponsible. And then, obey the word of God, you'll be blessed. Oh, that's true. And part of the blessing also, uh, the blessing of being allowed to suffer with Christ. Then my final point, but finally, obeying God's word is the path to true life. Lah. No, that's what Paul was trying to encourage Timothy. You know that from it, uh, it makes you wise for salvation. And this, salvation is not just going to heaven when you die. It's to experience the fullness of life starting today. So we don't lose when we obey the word, which means when we obey God. Lah, huh? we, don't, we don't lose. We don't lose. It's the path to life today and the life to come. So the call for us to obey God's word, which means obey God, is for our good. It's for our good. I, I have to say that this question of homosexuality is one I've grappled with for a long, long time. Because I have very good friends and family members who are gay, whom we love very much. And they know we love them. And I've struggled with the scriptures for a long time. If I read it wrongly, but my own take, and I'm open to be corrected, is I look to places like Genesis 1 and 2, the male and female, he created them. It's a lot of debate about the Leviticus passages, the First Corinthian passages. Oh, this is not homosexuality in general, it's about temple prostitution. So the debate goes on, but I don't look to passages like this. I look to Genesis 1 and 2, male and female, he created them. Of course, because of sin, things happen, and we have to talk about what happens when things happen. But at least the norm from Genesis... And then Romans 1, that one of the signs that we are away from God is we replace uh, normal sexual desire for the opposite gender now for people of your own gender. That is in, So these are not specific acts. They are talking about broad sweeps of what it means to be human or to be fallen human. But I want to be clear also that the whole thrust of Romans 1 and 2 is actually to finally to tell you uh, everybody sin. So we don't just highlight this as a special worst case, but there's a whole long list of all sorts of things. And the whole thrust of Romans 1 and 2 is we all sin, but that God's grace is for all too. So I don't want people to, you know, to highlight that and then making it so that this group is more sinful. But the whole purpose of Romans is to tell you we all got no hope, all have fallen, but God came in Christ to die for us. We have to be clear about that. It's the same Bible that tells us that we must reach out in love for all. It's a Jesus who reached out to eat with tax collectors, with all sorts of people, to reach out with love and acceptance to all sorts of people. So we have to be clear about what we believe in terms of what the Bible teaches. But at the same time, the same Bible asks us to reach out in love and humility. At the end of the day, everybody also falls short huh? to all sorts of people. No holier than thou. God, God forgive us if you ever come across like that. So my final challenge to us is, there's one metaphor for the word of God is like honey. And honey refreshes us and strengthens us. That this will be the context of the Old Testament. So when we imbibe the word of God, which is God's word, which is life, it, it refreshes us and gives us strength. Maybe manuka honey. It refreshes us and gives us strength for our life. So we don't lose. We don't lose. When we study God's word, obey it and live by it, we don't lose. In this very confusing world, they've got some clear, clear teaching. We want to learn the word humbly, 
be willing to be corrected when we are wrong, but there is the Word of God there. And interpreted correctly, it gives us truth for life. So Kirk was asking me, can do altar call. I said, oh, how to do altar call for this? But maybe the altar call will be, after COVID, it's a chance to reboot many things. Maybe, would you be willing to recommit to the study and obedience of God's Word? Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to take the honey, the spiritual honey that God wants to give you? The quiet time, listening to sermons in our small groups, but with a fresh sense of awe huh? that I'm encountering God in His Word and let God speak to us and give us hope. A God who says, you're my beloved child in whom I'm well pleased. A God who says, come to me all those who are tired and heavy laden. There are all sorts of things God wants to tell you, but you, you rush around and never take it seriously. But also to correct us, to correct us as well. So my dear friends, this is my invitation. If God has spoken to you, and God will teach you what to do, and you want to recommit yourself to studying the Word of God because you want to hear the voice of God, would you stand up and I'll pray for you? Simple. No need to be expert or what. Just that I want to recommit myself to studying the Word of God. And because I want to hear the voice of God. Okay? It's not just hate knowledge. Huh? It's to hear God speak to me. God will surprise you. God will surprise you. You invest that bandwidth to study the word, God will surprise you. I promise you. I promise you. But you've got to do your part. Lah. You've got to carve out that time, open the word of God with humility and sense of awe. Say, God, speak to me. Lah. You'll be surprised. Let me pray in closing. Father, I just pray for myself, because I handle the word all the time, for my friends here, that God... You've always been waiting to speak to us. Wait, 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 wait. But we rush around. We don't do something as basic as opening your word or opening your word properly. Forgive us. We repent. And as we stand, say, Holy Spirit, come upon us. Give us a fresh hunger for you, a hunger for God that is expressed in a fresh hunger for your word, O oh Lord. We hunger for you, not just for knowledge, but for you. But God, you come to us through your word. So help us, Lord, show us in our own individual context what it means to really encounter you, O loving Heavenly Father, encounter you afresh in the word that you have given us. Help us, help all of us, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Sowin. Brothers and sisters, in the light of God's word that has been shared this morning, I invite us to respond in worship. In the song that we are about to sing, sing it as a heartfelt prayer to God, as a heartfelt cry to God for Him to speak to us, not just this morning, but at every moment of our lives, that as we come to Him to receive His Holy Word. Brothers and sisters, let's sing this as a response to God. We go love as we go.
brothers and sisters, I'm going to just invite us to sing that first verse again. We're going to sing it slowly, prayerfully, earnestly, as our heart cry to God this morning. Let's do that once again. Speak, O Lord. Speak, O Lord, as we come to you to receive the fruit of your holy word. Take your truth, plant it deep in us, shape and fashion us in your lift up our hands for the benediction. Our Lord Jesus, pray this on our behalf to God our Heavenly Father. Sanctify them in the truth of your word. Brothers and sisters, may we receive this prayer, this being set apart, this being cleansed, this being made holy and righteous, in the truth of God's holy word. In Jesus' name we pray and let all God's people say, Amen, Amen. Thank you. We're glad you had spent some time listening to God's word and we hope that the message has ministered to you. You can visit us at www.cefc.org.sg for more sermon titles. God bless you in your spiritual pilgrimage ahead.